Hi, this is Rohan Dharmakumar from First Principles, the leadership podcast from the Ken. Each fortnight, we bring you a candid and insightful conversation with an accomplished founder or business leader who does things their way. Today's episode is the 10th since we've launched and also the last one of 2022. Today, I'm speaking with Tarun Mehta, the co-founder and CEO of electric vehicle maker Aether Energy. Compared to how laser-focused and driven Aether is today, it started out with a very different goal. It wanted to make battery packs. But then it realized that the best way to do that was to also make its own electric scooters, which then led it down numerous other rabbit holes, like making its own touchscreens, its own vehicle OS, its own charging infrastructure, its own battery management system. Over the years, this relentless desire to reimagine every part of the electric vehicle ecosystem has brought the company to the brink of death five times. We like doing hard things, says Tarun. He also says his most important job as CEO is storytelling. That's right. To know why, you'll have to listen to the episode. Trust me, you won't be disappointed. You will, however, be disappointed if you're missing out on two of the Ken's other brilliant podcasts, Cost to Company, which covers careers and workplaces, and Daybreak, which tells you the most important business stories worth understanding. Links to both of them are in the show notes. At the Ken, we've got quite the ambitious slate of podcasts planned for you in 2023. And trust me, they're all going to be original, distinct, and sharp. If you'd like to join our podcast team, check out our careers page over the next few days. I'll be linking to that in the show notes too. On to the podcast. When we started Aether, we did not have a vision of building a fantastic product. When investors would ask us as to what would be a competitive strength in an extremely entrenched auto market, sales, service, quality, manufacturing, distribution were hardly going to be our strengths going against the likes of Hero and Bajaj. We would weakly mumble that we were willing to build something very hard. We did not have a vision of building a product, but we knew that we were going to build something very hard. Do you recognize these words, Tarun? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You've uh, this was uh, uh, this is one of my favorite blog posts that I've written in recent times. Obviously internal, but uh, very strong resonance with these lines. Tarun, you were the first, or you are the first guest who's actually given me homework before we came to this podcast recording and the homework that you gave me was you shared four of your internal company blog posts that you've written over the years starting from August 2020 to as recently as October 2022. Right, right. This is from one of those posts. Yeah. 
no, we just started on that. Uh, this was the pandemic era, right? Uh, connecting with the office was difficult. Uh, There's just too many lockdowns still. Uh, there were just too many lockdowns. And before the pandemic, you know, we would just sort of get together, uh, even at the scale of three, four hundred people. Uh, we had this large floor place. We have this large floor floor space. So all hands was literally me standing in the middle of the office, picking up a mic and everybody would gather around. Even 400, 400, 450 people would gather around. But then we kind of lost it. Um, but that's not my question. My question is, you said you did not have a vision of building a fantastic product. And you also said we just knew that we wanted to build something very hard. My question is that because it kind of goes against this classic notion that we have of founders saying, I had this very clear vision that this is the product that we wanted to build. And from day one, we were kind of doing that. And you were honest enough to say that, look, we frankly had no idea. We then. Um, but why then this second part of, we didn't know what we wanted to build, but we knew that it had to be something very hard. Where's the conviction for the second part coming from? I have entirely often said, for us, we then, we, we, we're not driven by necessarily, we're not Apple. In, we're not Apple exactly. Uh, personally, I'm not uh, here to just build the greatest possible product. Um, I'm here all for the impact. What we eventually realized was building great products is a fantastic strategy. Um, that's not our reason for existence. It's a very subtle difference. Uh, it's very hard to understand, frankly. So I'm careful when I even say this internally because it's very hard to be confused. But it is true. Um, when we began, we ultimately wanted to build an energy company. We still do. We still hope in the next 30, 40 years that we build this, hopefully we build this, we are able to shape this more towards an energy company. The mission of the company that we written for ourselves was dropping the cost of energy. We had an idea of battery packs. So we figured building battery packs, enabling electric vehicles sort of fits in with the idea of an energy company. And actually the first product that had I had proposed uh, had three buzzwords. Simple, safe, sasta. Right? It was not the 450 that you know today. It was supposed to be 25 kilometer per hour scooter uh, that'll ride very slowly. We'll only carry one person on it. Um... Because I figured that might give us a good shot at building large number of electric vehicles. As we kept diving in more and more, and, and that's my rationalization also, right? Eventually, you also have to find a way to crack into the market. If you're going to be going up against the likes of a Bajaj, TVS, Hero, building that product was not going to be good enough. We wouldn't have been able to convince enough people to buy this. We wouldn't have been able to convince enough people that we are a legitimate brand. We wouldn't have been able to convince, we, don't, we wouldn't have driven enough passion or excitement for what we're doing. We kind of realized, listen, the, the right way to crack into this market would be to cause a lot of desire. People have to fall in love with what we're building. If you don't do that, people are not out there to try and buy, try and save the environment. Nobody cares about carbon emissions, truly. It's all a post-purchase rationalization. How do I convince people that buying electric would be a good idea? pre-purchase filtering that I've decided I'll buy an EV, but which EV? That could be. Our estimation was that it's still going to be a small number of people. Ultimately, even today, electrification is really taking off in on India on the back of some enormously exciting products. Most EVs are increasingly becoming actually the most are, are becoming an upgrade for customers, right? And that's a 
that's a trend that we actually believe in. Most electric vehicles are not coming as, an, as a downgrade. The most EVs have the latest generation technology of some kind, whether it's connectivity, it's performance, it's ADAS, uh, or in two wheelers, it's a touchscreen dashboard. Because that's the nature of technology. People want to move forward with technology. This is something we realized gradually, right? We, we knew by when we when we decided to start Ether and decide to work on it, we're pretty clear. We want to build batteries in large volumes for, for helping electric vehicles take off. Eventually realized building batteries won't crack it. Nobody wants to buy batteries from us. So we'll have to build the product. So we said, okay, we'll build a product that people are willing to buy. And gradually realized that, wow, the only way we can crack into this is by building an extremely exciting product. The second part, why take Sorry, on... Sorry, let, let we're going to come, we're going to do a deep dive into Aether and your entire journey. Uh-huh. But at this stage, given that you've ex- given us this la- very expansive view of what Aether wanted to be, can I ask you to explain what is Aether in one or two lines? What is the company? <laughs> Pretty difficult. Uh, listen, we are we're working on a pretty hard problem. Um, no, I'm going to stop you there. You have to tell me. I have to explain this to my mom and I have to tell her this is Aether. Tarun is the CEO of Aether. Aether is a... What do I tell her? What do I tell her in one or two lines? Oh, then just say Aether is building... Aether is building great vehicles. That's what it is today. It is building really great vehicles. These that, are, that doesn't describe I mean, There are a lot of companies that build vehicles. Like, how does that uniquely describe Aether? Uh, actually, I don't know. I really don't know. How would you describe it to your mom? Uh, I'm guessing most people describe us as uh, as an amazing product, as a premium product, as... Can I use the word electric? Yeah, they'll scooter, say electric. I'm, I'm sort of... Yeah. Uh, um, they will say scooters, they will say electric. Uh, this is all true. Uh, but within the rapidly expanding EV space, I think we get we we get usually described as as the more premium product, as the as the better product. Uh, I think that's how people recognize us today, uh, for the most part. Um, all right. Can I then can I take like a, a shot at it and then you can correct me if I'm wrong? What if I just said that Aether builds premium Electric scooters. Where am I wrong? Is this reductive? No, it's not. I- it's not wrong. It's correct today. It's completely correct today. So you wanted to start out by building batteries. Huh. And today you're building premium electric scooters. Correct. All right. We are doing my, that today. My next question would have been, I normally ask this to all founders, which is how do you make money? Because a lot of the founders are running internet businesses, software businesses, SaaS businesses, where the business model is not very apparent. Hmm. Again, if I presume and say you make your money by selling scooters and customers paying you for it, it's is that pretty much correct. it? In fact, I think it's the most correct for Ether. We love hardware. Uh, in fact, increasingly we realize, you know what, make all your money in hardware margins. There's nothing that beats hardware margins. That's where most desire is sitting. Actually, we dislike making money elsewhere. We, we kind of feel it's Wait, hold, I'm going to hold you to that because there is this trend which is taking off in the connected vehicle space which Correct. is unlocking of additional features via yeah. a subscription model huh. for instance just recently maybe about a week ago i came across this uh, mercedes model Correct. which unlocks additional acceleration if you're on a 1200 dollar a year software subscription plan 
Yeah, I think BMW so, allows you to heat up the seats if you pay them more money monthly. That's right. But you're yeah. saying no, you'd rather make all of your money on the hardware sales. Yeah, we're increasingly moving towards that. We've experimented with it, by the way. It's not like we've it's we, we didn't think of it. What we realized is that if you build if you build a very powerful brand, you're better off making all your money upfront with the customer, right? Because that's where they're willing to pay you all that you ask them to. Don't try to cut corners there. Don't try to push monetization later. Uh, we increasingly become confident that you know what, maybe even something like charging, like access to public chargers. Don't ask them. Don't ask them to pay you on a per charge basis. It's peanuts. It's distraction. It's just a pointless effort and friction for everybody. Instead, Give them lifetime free access to charging. Just charge them one time package for it. Turns out, that's the best way to make money. It's the lowest amount of uh, commerce, least friction commerce. You, you just collect everything up front. And if you have the right product, you can solve the financing. Yeah, sure, you can do those layering, right? But I'm becoming less and less of a fan of complex monetization exercises. Uh, I'd like yeah. to approach this from a different uh, lens because what you're saying is, in many ways, counterintuitive to what people assume is true in India. Because people say, "Look, India is a prepaid market. India is a show me the product, let me experience it, pay you as you go along market." Mm. affordability is low and what you're really saying is that no not really we sell a very premium product i mean can i ask you what your um ether 450 costs uh, 1.4 to 1.6 lakhs and that would place it at literally at the top end of the market right it is. i don't think there's anyone above you so it's not that you're saying that we are premium you're you're at the top of the market and you're saying that you you think it's better to charge customers up front for pretty much everything that they want and that's a lesson that you learned my question to you is that what was that journey when you started out i'm assuming you didn't think that you thought it would be easier to convince people to pay smaller amounts and charge them along but somewhere along the way you said that no it's easier to just charge them up front what changed what made you change your mind you're right um you do imagine reading a lot of mckinsey articles that uh, the monetization model is changing until you actually start selling stuff um what happened for us is uh, when we began in 2018 when we began sales we had a model at 1.25 lakhs and uh, we had announced then that uh, we'll have a monthly subscription for a whole bunch of stuff um but what we realized is most people signed up for those subscriptions at the point of sale of the vehicle itself and increasingly we saw them sort of say can i sign up for like a 3 year subscription here 5 year subscription here I you would have imagined that the way around right like uh it's okay just sign me up for like a 30 day pack I'll see I'll experiment more um uh, by the way there are two parts this is a part one so what I realized is if people trust the brand enough they just don't want to get distracted by again and again getting called up again and again making that decision um uh, they would just want to sign up for that for a long time they just want to trust and and go for a long time um you're buying a 1.5 lakh rupee product Do you really want to decide every month whether you want to spend another three hundred rupees on it? You would rather just say, you know what, charge me one point five three lakhs, take the next one year. Heck, charge me one point six lakhs, take the next three years. Right? I'm signing up for the entire experience here. Don't cut too many of those experiences out and make it very complex for me. It's not hundred percent true, but it's more true than not. That's what we realized. The second factor, however, and that was our own conscious call. We realized there are a lot of things that we want to offer people. but they don't know that they need them today okay and the more i make it an optional thing for them like 
hey, pay for it as you go, unlock the value of it as you go, they will actually not unlock it. Uh, let me give an example. Um, it, it's, a, it's, it's a slightly related example. A lot of customers keep asking us, we, ha- we were the first ones to introduce the 3G SIM card on a, on a scooter. Um, so it's 4G. Uh, sorry, back then it was, I think, 2G, whatever. Um, a lot of people thought that... And this SIM card's purpose is to... Is to allow the vehicle connectivity. And my number one exa- number one use case there was, you want navigation on your touch, on your dashboard there. Because otherwise, what is every two-wheeler driver doing? All of us have this front pocket. We keep our mobile phones here. Every signal you stop, put your visor up, and uh, do I have to go left? Do I have to go right? Ah, should I have taken left on 10th main, right? Then you put back up, or you sort of do that mobile dock business. It's all stupid. It's not a good experience, obviously. I've had a firm belief since 2013 that, listen, we should just plonk a 7-inch, 9-inch touchscreen there on your dashboard, give you Google Maps right there where you want it, right? Your life will be better. It'll be a better experience for you. But it has two problems. First, cracking that entire experience is very complex from an engineering and product perspective. We're not going to get this right on day one, okay? If you, and a lot of customers keep asking for this, listen, why do you have a SIM card on your vehicle? Allow hotspots, right? I'll come with a mobile phone, I'll turn on hotspots. With that, this thing will have connectivity. You don't need to charge me connectivity fee at all. My problem always has been, listen, you will not do it, okay? You're anyways not used to this experience. And on top of it, I'm building it for the first time. I'm likely doing a shoddy job of this experience. Shoddy job with no interest to explore something new is an amazing pair where you will do this pairing business the first three times. Fourth time, you won't. Like, it's just too much hassle. I know where my office is. I'll not, I'll not do this every time. And was, then it becomes one of the features that doesn't get used at yes, all. Yes, right. So if you, if you have a very strong conviction on where the market will go, where we can take it, give that feature to people. Don't let them get stuck with all of this, right? And which is why we have actually kept this connectivity thing uh, uh, as a separate thing, not dependent on mobile phones. Here, the additional thing we learned is if I keep this on a monthly rolling purchase plan, right? You can decide if you want it next month, next month, next month. You very quickly start saying, ah, you know what? I think I can work without it. But I want to take you to a place where you can't live without it. You actually will discover enough value in and it. And you don't have to make an active Yes, right. Cognitive so, choice on that. Which is why we kept it free until now because we're like, listen, we have to do a better job of building the product here. But once I do a better job of building the product, I'm becoming increasingly convinced. Don't ask people to decide every day, every week, every month if I want it or not. Get this to a place where, listen, just give this just to me for works. the next three years, two years, one year, whatever, right? A long enough duration. Microtransactions are not a good idea when you're doing something new. Okay, fully with you on that. How old is Aether? Nine years. We're in the 10th year now. We just finished nine years last month. How many employees do you have today? Uh, Including factory manufacturing, we have 2,500 people. Wow. What's your revenue? Yeah, maybe I can talk about it now. Last month, uh, we're now on a run rate of 2,200 crores. All right. How fast are you growing? We were 500 crores at the start of this financial year. What's your valuation? Most recent last round valuation was six thousand four hundred crores. That would be about what? Three eight, Well, it was no no twenty two hundred crores revenue. Oh no no sorry your valuation you said six thousand four six thousand four hundred. Uh, we signed the round a few months back. We were a little lower in revenue then. Oh. But yeah. How much venture capital have you raised till date? Hmm. I keep forgetting the number. I think something like two thousand something crores. 
why were you able to arrive at this market ahead of others well helps to start earlier than others definitely uh but we were chasing a very different approach uh, it goes back to the first blog post that line line that you read at the start we have a natural inclination to pick up path that others won't pick up right so starting earlier doing things which others aren't won't do simple and i think the Actually, most important thing sticking to it oh yeah time. absolutely because if you're doing those two things chances also are that you're going to be one of the most frustrated founders right because you're starting yeah, ahead right. of others before the market has yeah. evolved yeah. and you're doing things which others haven't which makes it doubly frustrating how old are you 33 are you married yes do you have kids one how Daughter. old uh, she 5 uh, months now oh yeah do you have co-founders one so now i'd like to switch to your personal background okay Tell me about yourself. What's your personal history and background? What do you study? How do you end up becoming an entrepreneur? Uh fairly accidentally. Uh I'm a Marwadi from Jodhpur, uh but born and brought up in Ahmedabad. Uh went to school there. Uh joined IIT Madras in Chennai. Uh did a 5 year undergrad there. Um my dad runs a small business but that's like one person business. So it's not exactly like a big business. uh family's fairly split some folks are in businesses lots of them are in services so there was no natural despite being a marwadi born in gujarat no natural reason to sort of go for a business i am very clear i went to iit because i was hoping they'll give me a 6 lakh rupee job back then uh i just wanted a good job right i tried ultra hard to become a consultant i ensured that my resume was really well dressed up to get Which into the vacancy 2012 All right. I tried ultra hard to become a consultant. Uh really Why? tried hard. Because that'll just pay me more dollars. Like good good money is made by consultants or bankers and I didn't think I would enjoy a bank. Consulting seemed sexy enough. Um but I couldn't clear a single consulting interview. Tried really hard to get into Harvard. Uh, uh Harvard HBS 2+2 program but failed that. So was basically down to other options. Um got into Ashok Leyland. uh which just gave me a lot of free time uh left ashok leyland 6 months later and started this up ashok Le- leyland manufactures buses and trucks yes yeah um what were you doing there actually i didn't get to doing much i left in 6 months i was allot- allocated to computer after 4 months what were you meant to do there i was in a future vehicle development program uh, supposed to work wow, on wow i mean in in many ways you did develop a future vehicle just no, not I didn't develop. I, ashok i i got a i got a computer after 4 months what did you do for waiting? the first 4 months at a new company without a computer i generally walk around wait for whoever's uh, absent on that day and i would log in from the system and nobody's absent i would just take long walks in a beautiful campus and go in the library and read so i don't what happened after 6 months okay so a little bit of background before that uh before we graduated swapnan and i had already started calling ourselves eth energy swapnan's my co-founder um and uh, we were trying to build this energy company since 2009 uh we were very fascinated by the idea of 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 making any contribution to the energy ecosystem why energy it's just so fundamental everything like every in- industry eventually comes down to this yeah, how it's powered no uh, did you have like a personal connection because i could easily make the argument that 
telephony is fundamental because all of us need to speak sure. or television is fundamental right but i'm just trying to figure out how did the two of you like you know get connected with energy was there like something like a project was there some company was there was there a like project. there was a project the second year of a college uh, sapna was working on a uh, on a pretty hard engineering problem called uh, stalling engines uh, it's an in- external combustion engine not internal and um uh he fell in love with the idea of an of that device because this thing got operate at well r- literally counted efficiency so it could be at 70 75% efficiencies and it could run off anything it could run on coal it could run on petrol but it could also run on the heat of your hand so it was quite amazing as a concept uh but it was very hard to get the the physics right for the same so second year of his college he was working on a project which which took him on his first international trip so he fell in love with this concept because it took him on his first international trip and uh, that summer vacation he decided to stay back in campus and work on it he wanted to build this engine like let's build this engine not just a concept i had just come back from a trip to stanford uh, a week long trip and i had fallen in love with the idea that young com- people could actually start companies and become super wealthy uh, a lot of it traces back to you at that point need to yes, be a I, really to, i really wanted to figure the money part out at that point really uh, so i was like but what touch what what sort of excited me was like legit entrepreneurship is actually creating value and you could do that at any age so i was pretty convinced that hey listen as students also we could do do this here he was working on this concept i said you know what this sounds amazing i want to spend some time on this with you and then we ended up spending 3 years on this uh pretty much all our summer vacations internships this became this uh we started calling ourselves atrenji in our third year um when did you first register the company Oh, we didn't. There's no registration. We're just calling ourselves Aether Energy. We wrote a whole bunch why? of funding. Why? Why? Why Aether Energy? Something came up with the name. Aether is a Greek word for the purest form of air. So we called ourselves Aether Energy as the purest form of energy. And our belief was that listen, if we could be a part of clean energy production, storage, distribution, any part of that value chain, uh, is going to be amazing. And it see, energy is one of those industries which is a very, which is a very like, I don't know what to call it. like almost a truism like you cannot go wrong it's it's like in e-commerce saying my mission is to sell stuff cheaper and better right like what amazon said can't go wrong with that mission so saying i want to be involved with energy production you're sure that you're not doing something wrong like people need it there is going to be always a demand for it we want to be involved there and we would legit wanted to build engines that will actually produce energies we built i think the only production stalling engines uh, in academy at that point um filed a whole bunch of patents and a lot of stuff that in college but when finally time it came to graduation i didn't get the jobs that i wanted and we couldn't productionize stalling engines and couldn't start up on it so we took the jobs that we got and we were like uh, you know what let's just stay closer to engineering anyways our options are done we'll figure out some way to come back to this uh, at some point in the next few years uh what happened is i was working on uh, the concept of batteries some particular concept of batteries that filed a patent on it and that took me down this rabbit hole of batteries and electric vehicles uh, electric vehicles are taking off this is 2012 uh tesla model s is launching so this is incredible amount of noise around this and i had a job that did not have work for the first good four months so i had amazing amount of time to and i became convinced by the end of it that electric vehicles don't require inventions they are inevitably the future their problems are down to product and engineering which is something we could actually do so we said you know let's leave our jobs and uh, 
let's learn how to build electric so we didn't start up at this point by the way let me be clear and actually i don't know if we really wanted to start up we were calling ourselves ethrangi but we weren't really sure it's a company will start and at this point we were more like this is an amazing where was swapnil working swapnil was working in general motors in bangalore so both of us left our jobs we came back to chennai one of our professors so actually the exact story because the exact story is fascinating so i 6 months was done um my manager came back, came to me and congratulated me and gave me this probation letter your probation is done please sign this you are a full time employee once you sign this and i felt super bad i was like this i know i don't want to work here right it'll be so wrong to sign this document tell this company i want to be a legit employee and then leave maybe 6 months later so sapnil and I, i i just spoke with him he said i'm resigning today i'll be out in a few days okay uh tu bata kya karna hai so i said i ran out of office at around 2 pm uh took an immediate bus went back to id madras went to a professor that i knew in campus at 5 pm uh we were oh he was also in chennai yeah at 5 pm both of us were sitting in front of him um uh, and we said this is the deal we don't want to do this we don't want to work uh we don't think we enjoying this but there is this concept of battery packs lithium ion batteries we're really fascinated by them we want to build them we don't know what we'll do with them but it'll be very very fun it'll be a very fun thing to build and the professor's like that's what he trained you for we trained you to do actual solve real hard engineering problems not to take up jobs ultimately become consultants if you're doing this you guys come back i'll find you a way to hang it out in campus boom next day sopan had resigned next day i had resigned it took me a month to get out so i must interrupt you at this point because there's a very interesting dichotomy that just came out here which i asked to a couple of my earlier guests as well which is what you study and then when you graduate like you know the job that you're aiming for there is like right. a huge gap between the two of them Correct. like in your professor's own words he's very proud he's saying well great this is what we trained you for Correct. but if you look at the placement system it operates almost at a tangent unfortunately to, right where you are being trained to think aim for a consulting job Correct. aim for the high it is only by an accident that you ended up back with the professor and ended Absolutely. up starting but there should have been there should be a more deliberate way for more students graduating to essentially follow through what they enjoy i think that's happened a lot in id madras now specifically uh they've they've sort of by design gotten it right now to some degree uh but it's happening quite a lot there now we were, we were possibly one of the first ones to come back in this way and uh, both professors rkk and sandeepan and the department sort of full heartedly supported us they got us on a 15k stipend a month so that paid us that paid for lodging and hanging around in the campus and we took one of the unused rooms in the department and what we said to ourselves is see we are both mechanical students we had no idea how to build a battery pack we haven't soldered two cables together so we have no idea about electric let's just spend some time and learn right so we just spend the next 8 9 months in learning we had what did both of your families say amazingly they were okay uh so thing is at that point we basically said listen we will need will not need your money we got 15k here from the campus we are set like that's all the money you need in chennai to sort of survive right so we are set here we anyway staying in a in a in a in a hostel room here so we are good uh and uh, worst case we about 21 22 you know like if it doesn't work out the cut off age is 24 if it doesn't work out by 24 we'll go back we'll take a job it's not like we will become unemployable by this right uh and the best part was a jobs on paying too much okay so it's not like but listen so you did not have so much money gold, on the table golden handcuffs yeah, you did they, not have yeah there's no golden handcuffs listen like we barely save anything on those jobs 
might as well just cut expenses and save nothing here. We'll learn something. We'll have fun. If it's really terrible, I'll start saving after 24. Don't worry, right? That they were okay with. They just didn't want us to cause more load on the families, which they didn't. Uh, so families were good with it. Uh, and our backup plan was, in some unsaid way, let's learn this thing and we'll we'll convince somebody to hire us who will let us do this internally. We just because at that point, you still didn't believe that you could start something yourself. We were ultra sure that this is going to be a startup because the best case pitch to startup was we'll build battery packs for other EV companies as a supplier. But suppliers also seem large, like Excite, Amaraja. How do you catch up to them? See, today, ecosystems evolved quite a lot. By 2013, this was a fairly out there pitch. So deep down, we were both like, if you do a good job, we'll get hired by somebody, okay? And all we want to do is build. We just want to build this, right? We build it here, we build it there. What's the what's the big deal? So we started learning. We built a whole bunch of these batteries. Uh, we built a whole bunch of mock-up scooters. We had a lot of fun that year. But October, something changed, however. By October, we sort of drank a lot of our own Kool-Aid. And we became convinced that how hard can it be to start a two-wheeler company? Come on, like it's so you went. So you went from we'll make batteries to we'll build a scooter in. How basically what happened is the more customers we spoke to, the more we realized that listen, nobody will pay us a single rupee for this battery pack, because what we are trying to do is people have bought electric scooters. We'll go to them and tell them your batteries suck. We'll give you instead of a lead acid battery, we'll give you a brand new lithium-ion battery that lasts you better. Yevo, Balantikra, and realize listen, they hate their scooters. They're not going to spend a single dime more on fixing them. It's a terrible business model. If you want to build this, if you love our batteries and our battery management systems, the only way forward is to actually build the entire vehicle and sell them the vehicle. So we built a few scooters and we drank enough of Kool-Aid to think that if you could build an ugly-ass prototype in a college, we could totally build a production scooter out there with funding. So we said, yeah, I will start a company. And uh, everybody encouraged us, uh, which was a bad idea because it, it was a, our predictions were terribly off. In a way, good idea, right? Otherwise, we wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation. It had a very low chance of success, frankly. Tarun, the four blogs that you shared with me actually went through all of them. They were very informative, right? Um, you wrote, the first one was titled The Matrix, August 2020. The second one was on sales, Feb 2021. Third one was going public, December 2021. And the last one was built, October 2022. Hmm. Um very interesting. Also, I noticed, like, I, I compared, like, the first one was close to 2,000 words. The shortest one was going public at about 930 words, etc. So, hmm. there are a lot of interesting concepts that you talk about in your internal blog post. Firstly, thank you for um, trusting the, your internal confidential blogs with me. Um, I know it couldn't have been easy. That said, you make this very interesting point that product is only the means to the ecosystem. We are not a product company. A premium product starting from the original S340 has always been a strategy, not an end in itself. Correct. What does this mean when you say a product is only the means and it's the ecosystem that you're building? So it goes back to the start, why we why you ended up starting Aether. Um, we wanted to build an energy company. Um, if we just landed up on batteries and that took us to vehicles. Now, what we wanted to do was just build a lot of electric vehicles because that has a meaningful impact in the energy space. Um, so, but how do you build a lot of oil? How do you build a lot of EVs? How do you sell a lot of EVs? And as we went through our options, we kind of realized that, yeah, you could do like an ultra cheap vehicle and try and sell it, but you will just end up commoditizing your sales, not create enough value, not create enough trust, 
and in the process possibly cause a lot of mess and that's what kind of happened in china uh you could take an approach of uh, go ultra heavy on marketing right of a fairly mediocre product um but then you're just going to run into essentially a marketing battle with companies that are way better than you on this right like a bajaj would you left right and center if you tried to do that you could try and just discount again an average product and sell that but then you're on a discounting war with larger funded startups and they will always be better funded startup than you and that's a terrible thing like if i want to put i want to do this for the next 30 40 years i don't want to put the fate of this entire thing down to who fundraises better that's a terrible terrible uh, uh I, i don't like the control that it gives me so what's the best strategy to control uh, and actually put out a lot of vehicles we realize that you know what turns out in the scooter space not a lot of people are trying to build a good product with the exception of the original honda activa i have very little respect for great products there have just not been enough great products in this space activa was the last great That's product the, you're talking about the scooter market or the two scooter, wheeler market scooter, scooter market uh, so we realize that people have basically been in a rat race in the scooter space to just duplicate the success of replicate the success of activa over the last 15 18 years could you just explain briefly what do you mean by like why do you consider activa such a great product honda activa such a great product and what are others trying to duplicate just the commercial success or something else oh no 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 just like how good a product it was is the commercial success is without that you can't call a product great there there is no great product in isolation of commercial success i think they have to go hand in hand it's an and condition uh but you can have very bad products that also are commercially successful for a while i think activa was that sweet overlap amazing product which then lived up to its potential with the kind of success it saw in india why it was an amazing success i think honda got some details really right cvd as an automatic transmission was there before honda activa and was there in kinetic honda but the refinement and 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 that's a very hard thing for most people to understand that if you refine an experience CVT enough cvt being continuous, continuous variable, variable transmission trans- automatic transmissions um it is very difficult for people essentially to essentially re- a gearless scooter gearless scooter but it's very difficult for people to understand and and i think honda and i have so much respect for honda to crack this that if you refine a particular experience enough you can just elevate the entire product dramatically and that's what they did to a new category it just it just opened up a complete new category that refined cvt that active was able to build that form factor tweak that active did the metal body that the original active had it solved some of the fundamental challenges for a family buyer and suddenly made scooter the preferred family purchase across the country so i have a lot of respect for honda activa but we realized that since honda activa nobody's actually innovated including honda actually nobody's innovated at all since 2004 2005 it can be very hard to innovate in the shadow of a hugely successful product right because true why innovate when you already have correct a great product doing well correct so we figured that listen of all the options that we could start a company as if you take a stab at recreating and and building an amazing successful product will 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 win on a few uh will on will win on parameters that others are not competing on i don't want to compete on stuff that others are already good at it's a losing battle i don't want to win a manufacturing battle with a hero i don't want to win a marketing battle with a bajaj i don't want to bill win the trust battle today with a honda or a tvs these are super hard fight i don't want to win a funding battle with an ola electric i think these are fundamentally lost causes you'll feel you're fighting a good fight until you just lose last well this is great but how do you con- where do you where are you getting the confidence where were you getting the confidence for this 
because you know i mean if i were to essentially like both of the let's say the marketing led growth or the discounting led growth are ultimately aim to deliver revenue to you correct right and you're saying i want to like i'm not interested in short term revenue because i actually want to build a better product which will truly that that's going to take you longer I'm an time i'm doing company for but us, you need funds for that as well right correct. what did you tell your um, investors and who were your first investors ha so if i come to that so we just kept going through this list where can we be unique on if you're not unique on something then you might as well as not even attempt the fight it's just pointless uh uh you won't be ideal in a place where there's no competition for what you do which is how we landed up on this entire build philosophy like some, let's build something very hard let's build an amazingly integrated product which requires you to rethink every element and rethink them from such fundamental that if even if others want to recreate what you've done they will have to literally copy everything that you've done and it's such a hard path that they will just not attempt it right Uh, great the mirror image of this is if you go and make this pitch to investors they are going to tell you the same thing there's a reason why nobody is attempting to reinvent <laughs> everything <laughs> yeah. so did you not get that when I you went i got that a lot listen aether uh, is one of the most successful startups uh which was unsuccessful in fundraise like i i think we've had the most unsuccessful track record out there there's not a single vc in town who invested in aether not a single right literally nobody in town invested in it ever uh what were, if i were to ask you for the top two or three reasons that they used to reject you uh, what were they very same reasons right like listen like it's too ambitious it's just too ambitious uh, and, and and on top of it you're not even saying that you will sell like 100 million units you're saying no we'll sell 5000 units then we'll do 20000 units then we'll do 35000 units what what is the slow growth right uh why not talking about hitting like a million units by year 4 i said like but year 4 of sales we would still be fine tuning this because i'm trying to get this right so that others can't copy us like we've got to be uncopyable once we are successful what's the fun if you're successful and then there are 30 startups at series d funding all just catching up with you in with a six month gap it's a sad life to do right let's do something that others will like, you got an impossible lead i think that's what i want to do So uh, who was the first person that you investor that you managed to convince of this vision on this exact pitch Sachin Mansal uh, there was a angel before him Vishwanathan and he trusted our 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 willingness to stick out a long fight right but we didn't know how hard the fight is but Sachin was the first investor because it is in 2014 that we were going around meeting a lot of VCs with disastrous results uh once again i must tell you that this is a theme that has come in earlier interviews which is uh, VCs refusing to fund something that they haven't seen work anywhere else. And I understand. Like, but, yeah. I don't have a grouse no, against I mean, it. It's no. just that uh, I'm just saying it's a pattern now, almost in first principles, and therefore, <laughs> like, so what did Sachin see? So what happened to Sachin is, uh, I I cold mailed Sachin, and uh, he amazingly responded. Um, I and at that that point, I didn't know that uh, entrepreneurs could actually invest. uh had no idea like his startup is unprofitable hovely invest obviously right but i was like listen you raised a lot of money so you could probably put me in touch with other investors but before i go to them please tell me what should i change in my presentation so I le- legit this was my pitch to him not pitch my ask to him was let me run through the presentation it's not working nobody's nobody's bought into it yet i have not raised a single like i've only raised the first angel check 25 lakhs okay nothing after that he's dead okay i'm out i will run out of money in a couple of months 
what should I change so that I become a little attractive for investors? I ran him through the pitch. We told him that this is how you should build a product. This has caused enough differentiation. Correct, right? We'll have the better. We'll have a better cost structure than anybody else in the industry. So it, it might seem counterintuitive, but a superior product will have a cheaper cost structure. Finish the pitch. Now, so what do you recommend? Like, which part should I change? Should I look at a different quantum? He said, No, you don't change anything. This is what you want to do. You should stick with what you want to do. That's the best pitch ever, and this is perfect. This is the only way to build this. That gave me a lot of confidence. I'm like, yeah, Sachin once he's like a billion dollars. Yeah, he's saying like this is a great pitch. I have probably not met the right guys. Sachin, can you introduce me to the right guys here? I'm probably talking to the stupid guys here. Yeah, I'll do a few introductions. I met those guys. Obviously, they all turned me down immediately. Uh, despite a Sachin Bansal introduction, uh, late in October, I met him again, and I went with a very honest pitch. Listen, nobody's put it a single dime. Okay, so I, I, I get, I just told him updates, 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 and he asked me, okay, fundraising and what's going on? I said, so well, nobody's put in anything yet. Uh, we ran out of money last month, so right now I'm on debt. Okay, like, like literally debt from dad. Um, if you can put in a small check. This might just convince people to take a little bit of bet on us, and I was hoping like fifteen twenty lakhs. Uh, I'd heard that he had done a secondary. He said, "How much are you looking at?" I, uh, that sounds confident. I said, "A million dollars." He said, "Okay, I'll only do it if you take the entire million dollars from me." I'm like, "Yeah, sure." That changed uh, our trajectory. Such an investor, because such an invested tiger invested, uh, and that got eighty crores in the company. We ran dry after that, frankly. Uh, we couldn't convince any VC after that. So basically, till that time, Sachin was the only person who believed in us. Tiger believed in us because Sachin believed in us, and Tiger was his biggest investor. But nobody after Tiger believed in us again for a long freaking time. Um, so yeah, this was a very very hard what, thing what, to find. Who fund. was your next investor? Hero, and uh, once again I, because they're an see, industry they're player, space, right? So these are enough reasons that even if this goes down south, there are synergies to drive. If this works, great. So they had lots of other reasons to fund, but a pure financial reason, I would guess even Hero would have said like, like I, I don't know if this makes any sense. Uh, we got would lucky. you invest if you went to raise money from yourself with the pitch that you had? Actually, I would definitely say this guy sounds fraud because my numbers kept changing. Okay, and that's why I'm saying like this. A, this should really have gotten shot down properly. Because I used to tell people that listen, ten crores, twenty-five people will move a vehicle to production, right? And I legit believed in it until I was disproved, and I raised eighty crores, and I still couldn't figure out how to move this to production. We're now with hundred people, and I figured, okay, this is this is it. With hundred crores and eighty people, with a hundred people, we'll move this to production. Famous last words. And then we raised two hundred crores, and we're still struggling. It ended up costing us four hundred or five hundred crores to finally move this to production with a team of three hundred, four hundred people. I was terribly wrong on my estimates. So investors were all right when they told me that your estimates are wrong. This will take much longer than you're thinking, much more people than you're thinking, much more money than you're thinking. What all of us were wrong, however, was on the opportunity. We all thought this is such an opportunity. We all now think this is a much larger opportunity. But they were right in saying that, yeah, my estimates are wrong, my numbers are wrong. There's also this interesting theme which comes across multiple times in your blogs, which is build versus buy. uh you say that that's that's build versus buy you prefer as a company to build things rather than buying things right which is why the entire company was only engineers at the start and even today despite sales being the most important metric it remains a company of builders first correct again like you know how do you like you know how do you arrive at this and why is this so important like you know because at some level 
I mean, you know, I'll, I'll say this, right? It looks like like you yourself said that your estimates were all wrong. Yeah. You were obstinate in your like you know desire to build everything, recreate everything from scratch, and yet you continue to say that we will build was by. I remember meeting some entrepreneurs in the EV space maybe like three four years ago, and them saying that you know this makes no sense. Look at Ather. Look at Tarun. He's like he's like. he goes into the details of what is the size of the screen that is putting on his like you know scooters and like you know what is the software that goes into it makes no sense indians don't care about it mm-hmm. and yet you continue to care about it why where where was this coming from okay first it's not a religion we're not religious about it we will buy if it makes more sense but it is since i was in don blog post it is an acknowledgement that in the space we are in where stuff is changing so fast it's very rare to find a partner or a supplier who gets what you want to do in the same level or 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 has the same exact vision right um the touchscreen example that i just talked about if i had tried to buy a touchscreen dashboard for a scooter application in india i wouldn't have gotten anything my best shot was some of these chinese options who had a who had a similarish solution for a vehicle in china Wouldn't have lasted in India at all, uh, and that thing was at scale costed five hundred dollars. We kind of felt that that makes no sense. You can build tablets for eighty dollars. Why are people selling us a, a bad tablet for five hundred dollars? So it made no fundamental sense, and that's when we said, you know what? If we build it, turns out we can do it at like one sixth or one fifth the cost. Uh, then we'll just. But build obviously, it. at A much higher uh, at a much higher time. time. So you got a higher upfront investment of effort and and just bandwidth to get this off the ground. But if you do get this off the ground, you would have changed the industry. And I legit claim that Ather building the touchscreen dashboard in India changed the Indian two wheeler industry. There's not a single two wheeler portfolio today that's not being set up for touchscreen dashboards in India today. It is a massive surprise to every supplier globally because no global market, not Korea, not China, not Taiwan, not Europe, not North America. none of them none of the two wheeler portfolios are even attempting touchscreen dashboards in a serious way because it's considered very hard for their road conditions and indian companies with indian road conditions are thermals are dust are uh uh theft issues are all suddenly moving to touchscreen dashboards and it's lasting them really well and the cost structures are falling through a, falling through a roof immediately like they're all like going sub 100 dollars how is that possible and i believe that some of this you can crack things like these only if you Only if you believe in your own ability to crack them, as long as you keep looking for somebody else, some partner to crack it, I think that's what I'm trying to caution against, right? I got um, it. Sometimes, like we do buy motors from outside because we acknowledge that people are building motors terrifically outside. But a lot of the other stuff that went on the vehicle, ah, uh, I just want us to ensure that there's a DNA of the company not shying away from building, taking the harder path. Because as much as it is a hard path today, it creates a better mode tomorrow. So it I mean I'm I'm going back to what you said earlier about the you know your estimates being wrong and the amount of money it would take and it looks like you know the two of you started out to build batteries correct and then when you started to build batteries then you realize that we got to build a scooter along with it correct and then when you started to build a scooter you realize well we got to put touch screens in it and touch screens not need to be running on software so as you so there is this Like you know, you have a five-month-old uh, son. So at some point, you'll come to this daughter. book. If you haven't daughter, my bad, you'll come to this book, which is if you give a mouse a cookie, 
which is a very famous so it's it starts with this little girl uh, who gives a mouse like you know cookie and then the mouse wants some milk to go with it and with the milk oh, okay, it wants something so you know that so it's it it looks like you come across something and then you know you folks wonder why is this the way we got to build this too so my question to this is what's the counter check to this internally at ether right now like for example if someone comes to you and says in from your company hey tarun we got to build better tires because none of the tires in the market are what Good. we want yeah. when are the cases when like for example you said motors right when are the cases when you say or what is how is it that you decide no we will not do this this makes no sense hey i'll just stop yeah this. kevin can you just stop this i'll yeah i think the guy is here yeah he's calling okay <coughs> No, so we learned a lot of painful lessons in um, in in drinking our own Kool Aid and going down a very long path. Sometimes the company almost died uh, five times. Five times in Ather's life, we have legit run out of money. Uh, the by run out of money, I mean not like wow short runway. I mean as of this day, we have no money in the bank. We can't make our dues tomorrow. Um, it's happened so many times that uh, we've learned some lessons out of them. um we we still believe that you got to make long term deep bets but you got, we become very respectful for the fact that you got to make very few bets you cannot do everything and the way we now sort of institutionalize that is by insisting on a very 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 sharp product portfolio people keep asking us when will you guys build a bike when will you guys build more scooters when will you guys possibly build a car I used to say yeah maybe in a few years now I say no will not we're not building a car we're not even going to touch a bike for another 2 maybe 3 years we may touch another scooter next year and this is after the fact that Ether runs the largest R&D in India today uh the entire industry just focus on one thing because I know that everything that we do we we often end up doing so deep I can't have the system sort of getting confused it's Go almost like on. you would be committing yourself to starting a second company yeah uh, yes correct right So we just institutionalize this by doing fewer things. It just opens up the flexibility of okay, if you're only doing this, then you can afford the flexibility of doing a lot more on this. You can afford to go ultra deep on this. You can afford to run the cycle for two and a half years before you launch. Um, and now that business is meaningful, just insisting on a sharp business case uh, everywhere. Um, the thing that we are flexible on is timelines. It's like it can be a six-year business case. That's fine. but it's got a very very solid business case that a lot of us can believe on we insist on a lot of evangelization inside uh you've got to convince you've got to go around make presentations run town halls get a lot of excitement going for what you want to do you've got to get people excited to go come join your project right only if that happens will this see the light of the day it will not see the light of the day because tarun signed a document that says yeah move so many people here you've got to pull those people there So these are things that are checks and balances, but fundamentally boils down to just choosing to do fewer things. You said you've reached meaningful scale today, so some of these things have changed. What does meaningful scale mean? I mean, how many scooters are you selling these days? So we're doing about ten thousand a month. Um, we should cross twenty thousand a month in a few few months. Um, this puts Ather four fifty X in the top ten scooters in India, and. current trajectory we should cross into the top 5 scooters in india sometime next year uh revenue basis we should start doing 4 500 crores a month 
again sometime next year that's meaningful scale that's actually larger scale than nike today uh that's larger that's almost comparable to zomato revenue so still small compared to auto standards but i think we are getting there uh this is no longer a 2 300 crore a year that actually stopped a while back one of the interesting things that you said is when people ask you are you going to build a car are you going to build a bike you say either say no or you say you know maybe in the future so one way to visualize this is the breadth of products hmm. right which is you have you know scooters then you have bikes then you have cars etc i mean you're saying no to those but in my head i'm also seeing the depth that you go into a single product right so you could choose to as a company choose to spend your time and effort on breadth of products or depth Correct. within a single product it looks like ether has made a call to go deep into a product which is we're just building one scooter but by god we're just going to go inside it and reengineer as many things as we could which brings to the interesting point which is product versus platform hmm which is a theme in your blogs which is very interesting to me and you say developing a platform and developing a product in the same launch is counterproductive huh because you talk about how you develop a product versus how you develop a platform and they're often at odds hmm do you want to tell us what does it mean like you know what is the difference between developing a pl- like we you've talked about the product right like you know the ether that you sell the 450 for instance what is the platform that you're building and does that make it easier for you as a company to then at some point build a bike build a car etc because you solve for the platform problem up front uh one quick clarification what i mean by platforms in the blog is certainly different from what is typically meant as platforms typically you mean think of platforms as like a very fungible thing that can allow you very easy translations everywhere i don't not mean that but what i really mean by platform is is just cracking the the architecture from scratch um and not dealing with the architecture as a black box for a lot of auto companies in fact the general approach for indian two wheelers is almost every module is a black box for them so they have no understanding of let's say if somebody is building an ev today many companies will have no understanding of how to build the motor controller what does it do what does it allow you to do or in many cases even the battery or the bms um at ether we took the call that we we are reengineering all of this not reengineering we are actually building all this from scratch for the first time anyways nobody's built this getting those first architectures right was very important and and having that knowledge was very important um within want to basically get something from somewhere somehow package it launch this product but have no goddamn idea about how to make either improvements on this or reengineer this for another application tomorrow because that's a terrible place to be in imagine if you got a code base somewhere from somewhere and you keep building something on top of it but you have no idea what this code base does is a black box for you tomorrow when a significant change comes you're going to break everything and you'll have no idea how, what you broke and how it worked so when i say platforms i'm i'm talking about the architecture of every single module nailing that takes a lot of time uh that's something we have learned at ether and you want to separate this development which is platform from product development you want to run platform development on a different timeline different uh okr pressure and you want to run product with a different timeline different okr pressure that's what i mean by that 
you said okrs do yeah. you follow okrs in time yeah we moved to okrs when did you move to okrs last year was the first year this is the second year and how was your okr experience the first year is a mess and frankly disaster the second year is not too bad people start understanding at uh, at a macro level uh if you could go back to last year what would you change that might make the first year less disastrous actually i don't think you could do much the thing you is you just the, have to go through that first you just have to go through year. it because everybody tries and think everybody tries to think of something new in in terms of something that they know and that does not work here uh so try to are okr is just like any other smart goal but it's not uh acha everything that i'll do i'll just put it in okr but you're not supposed to but you can there are only so many arguments you can have with everybody so all of us will make some mistakes second year it becomes obvious to everybody so everyone has to make their own mistakes Correct. and collectively learn as an Correct. org to figure out what but, not but to I do but i love okrs I, i love okrs i love their power to sort of align and communicate the organization's priority to everybody simultaneously I we've tried so many goal systems over the years nothing comes close nothing uh another interesting again like you know keeping with the same theme is that you say that one of the problems that you face is that india is fundamentally a large country of traders Correct. like and not builders yep can you go into that and like you know what does that mean and like you know how is it impacting you it's unfortunate but it's a function of how our economy evolved um building requires a higher risk taking uh and and just higher you you you've got to have some room for failure but given how poor we were as a country for such a long time now um buildings building was not really an option what the only way people could earn was by trading something that works and trading margins hence became the only way to sort of make money um even if you look at most auto companies or most companies in india almost all of them will eventually trace their origins back to some trading oh we were importers of this fave importers of that even auto companies hey listen we had a joint venture with this european company this japanese company they bought the tech they bought the product obviously everybody wants to buy the product so we gave them land and uh, we started running operations for them uh as scale grew we had to set up multiple plants so they taught us how to build plants so the next plant we built as scale grew we said listen we will just start running the plant ourselves you don't need to run the plant as scale grew at some point we kicked them out and we said you know what now we are the brand and we don't need you because technology is anyway stable but the fundamental dna that listen like unlike let's say general motors or a uh, chrysler or a uh, mercedes benz which can legit claim like we invented the internal combustion engine there is still a dna somewhere in their organization that yeah we can build from scratch uh we may have the wrong culture but the building culture is not completely disappeared i think a lot of companies in india don't have that culture um and i think it's a shame um and is by the way it's not just engineering building i think just legit uh 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 the fear of building anything new is just very large in indian companies i write that in that block at some point that notice how many companies actually tried building a brand in india and how many companies try to build a brand in us and i think it's a very good parameter check how many companies are willing to build because if you're not willing to build a brand you know you're a trading company your brand has no value you are a trading company you will import something you will export something and you're done you you will sort of quickly make a 10% cut and you're out tomorrow it's when you decide to build a brand that you're thinking long term and i think that's where the entire builder mindset starts i'm thinking long term i'm putting a promise out what i'm saying has to mean something you could still be a build you could still be a trading company of sorts but i think most builder companies have to start by thinking of building a brand and very few companies in india attempt to build a brand historically i'd like to go deeper into that why do you think that's the case was it the fact that 
mean, when you say you want to build something uh, and not trade, like, you know, the, the trade-off really comes down to do you need to show someone quick revenues or are you willing to forego immediate revenues and build something for the longer run, right? Because that's what building really means. So is it is it availability of risk capital? Is it the size and maturity of the internal market? What was preventing? Because that's changing now. I mean, you're one right. example, but there are others also who are building now, right? So what's changed? I think for a while, Indian market size has not been a problem. I, I understand. 50s, 60s, if you say, yeah, obviously Indian market size is a problem. But at least the last 20 years or so, I refuse to believe that Indian market size has been a real problem. Uh, lack of risk capital has been a problem. If there's not enough capital floating around, you are starting something, you need to quickly make money on it. You can't keep making losses. And a lot of builder mindset requires upfront investment. Not just the product, even the organization. Like Sobra and I keep insisting on getting the thinking of the organization as an engine. And we spend a lot of time in how we are structuring everything. Uh, what does that mean? So we structure organizational design? Yeah, org design. So we, we're basically not structured functionally. Uh, we have execution separate from people management. Uh, it's modeled on Spotify. Uh, and I think as far as Tell I know... Tell us a bit more. What do you mean by ex like execution is separate from people management? So we believe that um, generally what we, what we saw was if you are a manager in India, especially in auto, you you will deliver something. You will say, Arey, I will deliver this uh, new seat for you, right? And that'll make me the manager of, I don't know, seats or plastics or something, right? And to do that, I need like 15 people. So I'll have 15 people under me. I'm the boss of them. And they will, they are my minions. They will do this work without such brutal language, obviously. They're my minions and they'll do this work for me. So work comes to me. I deliver the seat. So there is a delivery mindset, right? There's no competency building mindset. Like there is not enough of a mindset. Listen, I want to build the the best power electronics capability in the damn country. I want to have the best battery technology center. I want to be at the cutting edge. I want to really be sort of pushing the envelope. I want to I want to do better on fast charging speeds. No, you tell me what do you want to build as a product. You want to hit 30 minutes charging speed? I will get 30 minutes charging speed. Give me people. This separation, so we've always felt that this separation of, of building capability and delivering a specific goal for a product has to be separate thing. Otherwise, the minute you color all of them, usually capability building sort of falls, becomes, becomes gets it. a shorter Deprioritized. De de and uh, it's not been a priority for many companies because many companies are not trying to build long term. How are you structured to solve for this? So what we do is we have, we have functions like every other company and uh, functional managers are now judged by what is your own personal vision? Do you have like an amazing vision for your department, right? It could be marketing, it could be power electronics, it could be battery, it could be sourcing, right? You have to have a vision and that vision you can bring to life at Aether, right? That's why you're here. So you want to become like this amazing talent magnet that everybody wants to join if they want to do great work on that domain, right? So you can attract people, you can think of long-term platforms, you can think of long-term strategies and you want to execute, you want to, you want to see that come to life at Aether. You'll build that capability at Aether. Actual product implementation is cross-functional, however. The battery engineer alone can't deliver the vehicle. The marketing guy alone can't deliver the vehicle, right? It's, it's, it's a team of hundreds of people coming together from all different functions. So that cross-functional group has a different org structure completely. And just like some software companies, they are organized by squads, which have combinations of product manager, engineer, testing guy, everybody coming together. They have OKRs at their level, and they deliver, and all those OKRs add up at the product level. 
Impressive as this sounds, it also sounds, it requires a significant, it's complex and it requires a significant amount of organizational bandwidth to manage. So is is that like, you know, something that... If you want to run something like this, what you're trading off is individuals will do, um, you will have to clear the tracks more for them. Okay, let me put it this way. Uh, You want people to run faster. But for them to run faster, you'll have to first invest in the support groups that can clear the tracks better for them. That's right. The There's a bunch of people required. who yeah. are not responsible for driving sales or delivery, whose yeah. job it is to clear the tracks. Correct. Right. So uh, think of functions who are now investing in, in, in platforms ahead of time. Or think of even for the live deployment, the program managers that you will need, the kind of HR folks that you need, the people who will support and take care of all recruitment issues, all onboarding issues. You don't want execution management to be stuck with any of this. You want their job to be like extremely pristine, very clear OKRs around delivery. Everything else is off the table, right? That requires higher investment up front and a lot of enabling functions, which is heavy at the start. But if you get that right, day-to-day delivery becomes a breeze. And that's what you started seeing in many programs. Once we start getting this right somewhere, People start saying, listen, I don't seem to have a very heavy, I, I I don't seem to be firefighting ever because things just happen automatically. Everybody is a little bit more empowered. I don't have to go back and tell my manager what I'm doing. I just have to deliver here in this program. How did you come to this structure? <laughs> By a lot of failures. We had the more classical functional org structure until, um, until we hit this magical number of 300. I was advised once upon a time that good organizations also break around the 300 mark for some reason, which, it, which happened to Aether. And everything sort of started falling apart. Uh, same time, we concluded that we are doing too many things. We're running out of money. And everybody's sort of saying the same thing. Well, there's not the ether of old, uh, so on and forth. And we kept digging in and we kept trying to fix this. We kept trying to fix this. Uh, ultimately, we realized that one big problem is um, people can't context switch enough. If people managers have to switch across five different products, and by the way, charging is a different product, vehicle is a different product, our connectivity is a different product. If the same sourcing guy has to understand the context of every single product that you're building, every single component that you're building, there's too much context switching happening for that person every day. And everything is centrally going through him. So we iterated enough and we finally got here. But uh, it's still WIP. We've been building this this structure since twenty early 2020. So therefore, I would be correct in assuming that compared to, let's say, another company which is also building scooters, you're much more people intensive because you are invested much more into people who are not directly responsible for execution and delivery, but on HR or on, is that is that a fair assumption? Uh, at the development stage, but mm. in our actual operations, we end up needing far fewer people because there are very few fi- firefights that happen. Um, that's what the structure allows. Uh, even, and especially in the operational programs, like manufacturing sales, we end up needing fewer people than, than is common in many other companies. So we are dev heavy, ops light. A very interesting concept you speak about in your blogs is the Bangalore Mirage, which is, Mm. if you think Bangalore is a representative market, you're wrong. And I've come across this concept from multiple other founders who've also said this, that look, Bangalore spoils you because if you launch a product in Bangalore, you'll Mm. think that, wow, if this works, I can multiply this into other cities. There are so many cities in India and it looks like, and then you go outside Bangalore and then you meet reality. Tell us more about how you came across this at Aether as well. So we launched our first product here in Bangalore, right? Um, And uh, all the early adopters were 
product managers at tech companies, right, or, or, or that profile. And you think that that's what your market is. Uh, actually, for us, it was a happy surprise and uh, allowed us to change strategy for the better. But originally, looking at our audience, especially because our first store was here in Indranagar, you're going to think that, wow, this is your typical buyer, right? Somebody with a lot of spare cash and just wants to have the latest in technology. And we started calling this in our profiles that it's a tech early adopter that we are selling to. Um, so there was a feedback loop. The people you saw and the people yes. you sold to yes. ended up becoming your target audience yes. as well more yes. and more. And, and you sort of feel that, oh, we should probably solve their problems of, you know, even more cutting edge stuff that's probably meaningless and pointless, but seems cool. Uh, at least there was this debate internally. Until, until we uh, got to Chennai and I think more importantly, until we opened up a second outlet in Bangalore in JP Nagar. JP Nagar is not where all the techies are necessarily coming from. And JP Nagar certainly started attracting a very different audience. Family buyers from JP Nagar and Jai Nagar. Proper families coming in and all of them making a very hardcore decision. Listen, I'm going to be riding this scooter every day. Does this work for me or not? It did work for them, which lucked out. We lucked out. But it certainly changed our, our, our understanding of who the customer is. And the earlier after crowd sort of disappeared after a while. Very quickly, actually. After the first maybe 5,000 units. Um, so we started thinking differently about product marketing. We started thinking differently about what we are really selling here. Uh, Bangalore does have a way of sort of otherwise changing, keep, keeping you in a little bit of a bubble. What is your definition of success and failure today? Impact. Um, uh, entirely we do this. I, I say this. We don't do this. I say this. If you were to die tomorrow... Uh, which has been bankrupt as an organization, what is it that people remember us by? If that's not good enough, then know that we're not successful yet. If that sounds starts sounding good, then then you know that at least this phase is done. Uh, and impact is what matters. I think um, what it has done till now is, is, is one part of that impact. We have put an archetype of what kind of a vehicle makes sense for electric in the two-wheeler space, which everybody's copied. So at least we can claim credit that, listen, we changed the direction of the industry, right? Like vehicles started becoming like this after Ether. But impact is what I personally care about. So that that direction change has to be multiplied by how many vehicles we put out. How uh, many have we put out to date? I forget the exact number, but I think we'll be somewhere around 70,000, 80,000. At what number will you be satisfied that it's hit close to the impact Oh, about, uh, uh, I would say about somewhere around... Uh, I think we've computed this number. We've put a very interesting energy math on this. But around 50 million vehicles, I would say if you went bankrupt tomorrow, I would not regret it so much. Uh, so that number is still many years away. Uh, a large company would produce 5 to 7 million vehicles in a year. They'll probably take us a good part of a decade to get there. At some point earlier in the conversation, you'd mentioned 30 to 40 years. I mean, we want to do something for 30 to 40 years, right? When you started... You did not even know you and Swapnil that you were going to, you know, be a startup. You yeah. started out building battery. At some point, you seem to have gone from, we don't know if this is a company. We don't know if you're building batteries. We don't know what we're doing to, can this company be around 30 to 40 years from now? When did that transition happen? Actually, this is not really a transition. So, so let me just explain what I mean here. A lot of people start up because they want to be entrepreneurs. They want to be, I don't know, free. They want to make a lot of wealth. Apart from my base cash requirements, that was never the real requirement. We we were never driven by wow. We uh, 
we want to be free because we don't think starting up is becoming free we it was not about i want to own so much percentage you get massively diluted as an entrepreneur in india um so very frankly if if what happened is at some point we could have done this in another company uh but we could have done this what we wanted to do it wouldn't have mattered whether it's our company or not frankly so much um and we started from there we didn't find a place where we could be housed so we decided to start up uh realized that it wouldn't make sense to get acquired after a while so we said holy shit you know screw it we'll just build our own manufacturing our own supply chain we'll just do it ourselves we'll not just do design and uh, so now we are here but to date i we are, we are still not driven because uh, see okay we are interested in building an organization because we think that's the only way we can ensure what we have started sort of continues not because we want to run this for 40 years necessarily i'm hoping i get to do this for 30 40 years more okay but uh, the reason i'm investing we are investing all this time in getting the right ox structure so i will stop you there how old are you once again 33 and you say you want to do this so you genuinely want to be working by the time you are about 60 65 or so and in this space yeah listen if an entrepreneur at this stage wants to get out i could get out now right i could sell this and as far as india is Why concerned not? because i told you we are still only driven by impact we wanted to build that energy company we would still at the end of our life measure our success by how much reducing the cost of energy that's the mission for both of us as founders how much of an impact that we have on that scale see it's a very large scale we know that we can meaningfully move it okay but can we move it at least noticeably okay can we can we have like a 1% impact to that in india that's all we care about what is it that you feel you most add value to ether as its ceo storytelling uh i i i think that's something i get from my dad and uh, i i like that uh I, i think on a journey like this you need to really know why you're still doing this and i think that's the number one job for the ceo to do uh, there's so many competent people who everything else right finance hr product design i think my my main contribution boils down to storytelling to some extent product but i'm under no illusion delusion that you know i'm the greatest product guy ever in the world i'm sure there are better steve jobs out there uh, we just have to find them so uh, it for me just boils down to storytelling uh, every day how do you find talented people uh a good way good thing that uh, that that works as a as a check for us is the kind of time frame the person is thinking of uh, in thinking in terms of uh i think a lot of great people think of uh, short term as 3 to 4 years mid term as 7 8 years and long term as like a decade or more um i'm not saying it's a, it's a it's a necessary or the only condition but it's an amazing guideline of of how long term this person is uh it doesn't matter if you could if, whether we are hiring you as a functional manager or we are hiring you in a, in, a, in an execution role if you are hiring you in functional manager you cannot build any depth in any place in less than 4 5 years you can't say oh, i'll come in 12 months later you know this will be the most competent department in the world out there impossible right what's what's a base number for someone to make any impact at ether what that you feel like you know the number of years that someone needs to spend yeah. at ether people leave less than that sometimes i but know but what's your I, I think, number i think i think you should really try and stay for at least 3 years if you're not here for 3 years i think your ability to generally have an impact is very 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 your probability of having a genuine impact is very small 
it typically i think it's somewhere in the third year mark that you start really changing things and 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 your impact is really large if you don't stay for beyond that you you've just start you just see in the direction and you got out uh, and and the simplistic reason for why that happens is because someone got some more money elsewhere but i feel that's too simplistic is there something else that goes on that we believe why people leave before Actually, people three don't leave years as you people don't leave with her so n- not everybody leaves with her no of course um not. um i'm i'm by the way i'm not talking about you in particular i'm talking about the broader industry including startups yeah. where staying 3 years as a default is is an outlier right they went 3 years is uh, so a decent amount so for us actually time. the most of our leadership uh has been around for i think the lowest is 3 years and the average is somewhere on 5 and a half years which from what i understand is not common for startups that i know and this is most leadership i'm talking about the top 30 40 people right like that's your average tenure for the top 30 40 people at either how i do recognize that for a lot of people um especially in the ev industry in india if they worked at either for a couple of years the resume is sort of gotten better they can get a far better title somewhere else right and we can't like i i can't make everybody a vice president uh, or a cdo um so if so i fully understand this you worked here 2 years you've contributed some you're being made a cdo in another startup now it's probably not a bad idea for your for your own personal career make the jump i understand this but uh, if you want to become a leader at ether i i would not I, I would probably explicitly tell you less than three years you're not going to have an impact so you, your leadership credentials won't be burnished here if you're less than three years here how do you still actively filter out someone who just says yeah but don't really mean it so this time frame thing is uh, is a is a, is some sort of a check another check is uh, what's your vision uh, it's i know it's a loaded question but if if you're coming joining if if you're coming here to build a department we really try and understand if you got a real vision personally like stand alone like it's not about ether it's not about what I do here like listen i want to marketing and i have this amazing view or i have this really strong view of how marketing should be done in this new world it could be completely wrong right it's okay but you've got a strong vision and then the question is is this the place where that vision can come to life that's generally a good check and it's a ridiculously high number of people who don't have a vision uh who are generally floating around so if i have to really apply a very hard filter this would be a last filter how much of a vision do you have if it's on department it's the department vision if it's for the product on a horizontal then it's about a specific product vision you've said that you've had you're one of the most successful startups at not being able to convince investors yes. to invest in you right yeah. so what are your learnings from all your unsuccessful attempts at fundraising yeah i don't think i'd taken much learning out of them i i don't think we would we could have built it in another way in that era uh so we just had to muscle through five six years of really is there any advice that you have for others, for others who might be if you want to go down a path where you're going to be building something that's ultra hard and very investment heavy up front uh be out there more tell your story from rooftops um ether given our own dna is is more quite uh in spite of your top job being story a storytelling but i do internal storytelling i i Why didn't really succeed at to selling i didn't really realize in the early days and actually i'm still learning that that stays telling stories outside because it just seemed like a facade it just seemed like a fake thing to do where does that come from because think about it right you're telling a story to your employees 
or to your customers or potential customers there is really no oh, i mean actually, the problem is never one on one storytelling but a more general shout out in the in the public space out there your story it that feels uh, fake. It, it feels, feels fake it feels why you doing it but i do on second thoughts do now recognize that that was a mistake i should have just seen that as part of the job that just go tell your story legit to every media guy like legit to every person who can amplify it be out there tell like have a blog post published every week right L- like do that build in build in public thing legitimately of, well. one of one of the okrs is there is there publishing on company blog is that one of the okrs not yet, that? Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> do you believe you're replaceable at ether or that you so. should be i hope so i hope so if you done a good job of org building Marola the CEO should be replaceable 100%. Um uh job the storytelling is different that's but but I believe that's the fundamental job of the founder. Uh and I think you step down from that role when you feel that the story for this org is done. There are no more stories to tell here. Then it's all execution. Then it's all scale up. Then good professionals should run the company. Is there a founder mentality at Ether where there is this certain awe of founders and what they think and what they decide etc many startups like i don't think so i i don't think so I, at least lesser than what i've heard outside um yeah it's it's not like we know a secret that others don't know so people respect us i hope so but uh, <laughs> i don't think they are like just sort of falling flat if this years and all of us are in fear of us what is what's the stock response that your employees or colleagues might hear from you if they come to you with a problem that you expect them to solve oh i would typically tell them how others are hearing them that they're not able to see uh and i would encourage them to go have that conversation uh i would not rush to give them a solution okay i would sometimes rush to give them a solution but I would generally my first instinct would be to uh, try and tell them this is how you're sounding to to the person that you're having the struggle with right this is the perspective that they have understand their situation uh, because that's an advantage I have I I know what the other person's going through uh, their role their pressure so that's or, your vantage point because you see so, more of the organization so all I, all I try to do there is listen I have a, I have I have an advantage unique vantage point if you come to me I'll just immediately give you that vantage point right so you quickly understand oh wow that's what's happening I'm like I've been telling finance you know sort of solve this process for a long while listen they can't do it because we're down to the last month of cash so don't expect them to at this point change PO systems right and amazingly being just open with people about stuff like this is super is is super for most of them vast majority of them uh if you just tell them the reality of 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 that person in the company they're like oh wow now I get it so at least personally that will be my stock response You said you've had five near-death experiences. Correct. So my question normally is, what are the top three failures that you've had? But like, let's let's go with still that. Like, if you were to look back at Ether, huh. and you were to look at like you know things that you did, either missteps or missed opportunities, are there anything that you count as failures? Um, contrary to what what I told you at the start, we were not very focused, especially in twenty nineteen. and that's why we learned uh, we were very defocused we were trying to build a scooter a bike this and that and everything and this just spread the organization too thin too early without having first productionized and and profitably sold this thing 
uh and that came very close to killing the company uh and that just started a bunch of sequence of events it took us 2 years and several near death experiences to sort of get out of that crap that we walked in in 2019 and downward spiral from there yeah down or was uh, it like you know what were the successes because you came to a near death experience hmm. because you spread yourself too thin correct what's more interesting you're saying that that wasn't the end of it it took you 2 years to kind of recover fully from it what happened what was that see because by that point you can't just sort of jump out of that trajectory so fast uh the challenge is you've already walked in a place where listen this product by the time we realized like let's towards the end of 2019 we realized that wow we can't do this we have to focus we have to and, and we cut out every single thing in the company except the scooter every other thing became like just dropped off the pride priority list like priority 0 uh this was the only number one priority but this is a negative gross margin product like it is a minus 200% negative gross margin i can't fix it tomorrow right and if i can't fix it tomorrow and we have no money that means i can't sell anything tomorrow so until this unit economics is fixed we can't sell anything so now you're stuck in that place and you're going to be in that place for a solid year before you really fix this unit economics and then you will have to face the reality that you've not industrialized this product really well so you've got to focus a lot more on supply chain but to get suppliers interest you need to be able to tell them that i will produce a lot of this tomorrow which you can't say until that year is done so you've got to go through that really painful year fix the unit economics then go with an honest face to suppliers tell them now i will buy not 200 but 500 units a month and i'm projecting i'll get to 1000 in the next 3 months right trust me they will not trust you So you have to live through that painful quarter, demonstrate before they start listening to you. So this entire phase took a solid two years, and the end result of these two years was that towards the end of 2021, we finally signed the first outside term sheet from a financial investor since December 2016, right? Uh, so you couldn't like just sort of snap out of it very quickly. You are a consumer-focused. like the yeah. lot of the stuff that you build is of course internal and all of that but at the end of the day you're selling products expensive products to consumers how do you as a ceo keep on top of what consumers want think etc and what are some of the interesting insights that you've spotted in ah, recent right. times another philosophy here uh, there's a poster in our office it says build for us i'm a very strong believer you cannot step into the shoes of a customer don't do that how many times will you step in those shoes right some days you'll forget those shoes only build stuff that you understand if you do not understand that customer don't build for them simple uh sure this might sometimes require us to build a new team that understands our customer psyche really well if you can't build that team don't build that product It's very simple otherwise you're just opening yourselves up to a ridiculous risk of product market fit i think the best way to short circuit product market fit is to be the customer you are the customer who's going to write this product does it make sense for you to buy this right uh i know the 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 risk that it comes with of drinking your own kool-aid too much but we found good success doing this which is why it also remains a fairly focused company we don't build too many products because unless i believe that there's a product that we internally understand or we can bring in great people that we respect and they understand i don't want to build it simple why build something that you don't understand so build for us is priority one build stuff that you understand that you can sell if you can't if you don't understand it you're like i know this market report says that you know people really need storage spaces do you need storage spaces have you ever used storage spaces this marketing report says people really need this usb port in the scooters i'm like 
I won't put it because I'm a scooter rider. And listen, damn, I'm I would not put my mobile phone inside my storage box ever. Okay, it's a terrible, terrible, terrible idea. So people are asking for it. Let them ask. I will not build this. I think it's a waste of time as a useless feature. Now I can't say that if I'm not a scooter rider, because the market report says something else. So very strong belief here. One of the questions which a listener had uh, sent me, um, I, I forget the listener's name, was how did you find your first set of early employees, and how do you get them to kind of believe in your vision? How either startup was different. See, at that point, there was nobody building electric vehicles as a startup. There was nobody actually building anything in hardware. So we were one of those first hardware startups. All we had to do was go find people in engineering colleges and tell them that, listen, you were building maybe race cars in campus, you were building other vehicles. You will get paid to do this. Come join us, right? So it was a very easy pitch back then. I think at least for the first two, three hundred employees, Ether was just the only default choice. Uh, frankly, our, our sales job was super easy for for recruitment back then. Uh, now there's competition, so we have to differentiate on you know the kind of quality, culture, everything that you will get. But the first two, three hundred was super easy. No competition. What are the metrics metrics that you obsess over? Two or three that, uh, that you're always on top of and you always want to know. Ah, uh, yeah, it depends. It depends on the phase we are in. The phase that you're in today. Right now, top of funnel. I want to know how many people know about us. How many people will walk into the showroom every day? Ah, uh, it's a metric that we want to make a lot of progress on. So this is something city by city. I'll track every day practically. For every single store out there, uh, how many stores do you have today? Seventy-five. Across how many cities? Fifty something. What are some of the phrases that you're known for inside Ether? Do you have any pet phrases that people know you for? And I love to ask them. <laughs> uh, okay, if I take a shot, this is not a thesis. Uh, I think people make a lot of fun that I use the word thesis. I think it's a. What is it like? Tell us what it means. Like you know, when you say, when you tell to someone, this is not a thesis. What are you really saying? We have no reason to believe in this. There is nothing that any of us really can buy as a story for this this idea. Um, so it's yeah. not a strong, strongly argued enough yes. point. That's what you're really yes. saying, right? What's the one line that your team dreads hearing from you? If they're in a review meeting and you say that it's like you know it's typically it's a bad sign. I'm not a very aggressive person in reviews. I hope so. Uh, um, I would sometimes um, reset a direction pretty. Significantly, um, and I, I'm not sure people are dreading it, uh, but it's a significant change, and that much I understand. Because it's rework and back to the drawing board. Ha! Uh, for a lot of things, whether it's product or it's uh, even marketing or sales, uh, we've done that several times. Uh, no, no, no. Well, for example, we're going to launch an accessory. We're going to launch a helmet in uh, mid 21, and um, I remember walking in and, and and then concluding that wow, this is so not on brand for us. We will not kill this. We'll put more people and resources on this, but it's go goes back on a reset, complete reset, back to the PRD, and it got reset, but 
two years. Um, it was a six-month project. And when we reset it, it became, I, I reset, ended up resetting it for two years. Uh, Did it get released? It's getting released next year. Next year. Here's my question. The person who will release it next year, was it the same person yeah. whom you... Yeah. How did, you know, how did you manage to hold on? Because... No, because someone a better pitch. Because a better pitch. Like the, the thing that the person will be working on is so much better and it's so much more worthwhile. Right? Rather than the, the crappy idea that we sort of narrowed on early on. The people are either generally stick because they know that what they're working on will see the light of the day. We are not running random experiments. We pick up few things, but we will see them through. What are the three most common adjectives people used to describe you inside Aether? I really don't know. Total out of depth. Uh, legit. No idea. Really? Yeah, For legit. someone with so much self-awareness about Aether and see. the company. All right. How often do you change your mind? And when you do, do you find it easy? Yeah. Yes, I do. <laughs> do do you problem. ever find any dissonance when you change your mind? Um, I change my mind a lot on short-term things. Uh, I change my mind very rarely on long-term things. And that's something we also expect generally at Aether. Uh, have extremely high conviction on long-term bets because you can't go wrong there. You, because we have long-term bets, you also double down so massively on. Like there will be a 300 member team working on it. So you can't get the long-term bet really wrong. Really have high conviction on it. Short-term, be super flexy about. You know, we, we think this spec was a good idea. You know what? No, competition's launched. We learned uh, that's a terrible idea. We can still switch out of it. So short-term, super flexible. Long-term, very rarely. What's the best time or way to give for someone to give feedback to you? Mm. About you? Mornings. Best time. Uh, on a on a long walk. Are you afraid that everyone around you is probably not telling you something? No. So you're fairly Definitely. confident that people Definitely. are giving you honest feedback. Yep. Tell us how your life has changed as a parent, even though it's just been five months. Has it changed? Actually, no. <laughs> Uh, dangerous territory. Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> because if I say it hasn't changed, I'll get a lot of grief at home. And if I say it has changed, I may not be very correct. Uh, listen, I think. I, I Let think, me rephrase that question then, yeah. right? What has parenting taught you about yourself in these five months? Kids grow up super fast. It's just five months, but uh, yeah, like she seems to be growing already so much. What has it... Ah, okay, one thing. Uh, the fact that you can wake up three times in the night and still be very, very, very alert in the day tells you that you were such a lazy bum in the past and your body or can take up so much Or that you're much more resilient than... You're much more resilient, correct. You're much more resilient. I think definitely you're sort of feeling that right now. Are there things that you do that others find quirky? Hobbies, the activities. The food that I eat. All right. And the now coffee we're curious. That I, I mix a lot of stuff, okay? Especially in my coffee. Uh, I think I invented that uh, orange in coffee before before third wave. Definitely. I'm pretty confident I invented uh, uh, tonic water in cold brew before Starbucks, but I don't know. Uh, so I mix a lot of stuff in my coffee and I enjoy doing that. Uh, 
same for food. I will try pretty crazy combinations in. Was that is that the same tinkerer mentality? I have no idea. Probably, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure if I would really call myself a tinkerer, but yeah, sure. If you were locked in a room for twenty twenty four hours without any internet, what would you do? Do I have a laptop? No internet, no electronic devices. Okay, then do I have books? Sure. Let's say you have a laptop but no internet. Then I'm playing games. I'm playing what game Call are you Duty. playing? Modern Warfare Two. When you eat out, uh, are there favorite foods that you order six out of ten times? Anything with bread in it. Nine wow. out of ten times. Wow. Yeah. Why? I mean, no, because normally these days, once people you know start to hit middle age, huh. they start cutting down on bread. And you are essentially like I, you I know, know bread works for me somehow. Hmm. So or I just haven't realized that it does not work. No, I mean me. it's also fascinating that you love bread so much to say that like like nine oh, yeah, out of ten definitely. times it's like definitely. if I have an option. That's great. It's either that or it's really 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 uh, uh, street South Indian food. So, some some sort of a plain dosa. All right. What does personal time for you look like? Um, me time, personal time. Reading in a coffee shop. uh yeah mostly reading or a long walk uh and and talking to to an old friend on a scale of 1 to 10 how happy are you with your life you know my my status says life's good uh it's been a whatsapp status since forever so so uh, i don't use whatsapp so i haven't seen it yeah okay good uh 8 out of 10 what would take it to a 9 or 10 can it go to a 9 or 10 i don't think so i actually don't think so i i think those have so to be so effectively this... then you're saying that you're at the maximum so 8 is your so you no listen i okay i would like to imagine 9 or 10 is possible i just find it hard to believe how people get there because see, the thing is even if you are that let's say you're you're ultra rich or you are you're you're super happy with your family or you've achieved a lot as successfully you will just find something else that you know you would have gotten to uh So I think it would be a mirage uh, for vast majority of people. Uh, I'm happy. I'm happy with what it is. How do you spend your weekends? Hmm. Cabin park. Uh, either a brick oven or a sandur cafe. Followed by another long walk in the night uh, somewhere in HSR. Uh, and a solid five hour. Jam at a coffee shop with my wife while we both work on something or read something. That's standard. Well, now it's come down with the kid. Yes, yeah. that used to be common. That used to be a standard weekend thing to do. We both take our laptops, go sit in a cafe, and uh, either work or read. And every half an hour, sort of put down laptop, talk about something, think about a concept, and then go back. You said you read books. What what kind of books do you read? And what are some of the last maybe two or three books that you've read which really you know stuck with you? No, I'm not. I, I wouldn't say I, I read a lot of books. I do, but I would actually say I read. I I I'll probably end up reading most stuff on the internet, uh, more blogs. But last book that I read was uh, it was a reread. It was Silmarillion by Tolkien. Uh, it was a gift, so it was an amazing book. Uh, and um, mm, some really trashy fix, fiction. Uh, okay, not trashy. Good fiction. But a little fun. Uh, Amish Tripathi uh, just last week, uh, his new book. 
is there something that you geeked out on recently like you got into something and like you know could be anything Shoes, what do you mean by geeked out, out like you know you picked up something and then you just went deep into it maybe it's a raspberry pi maybe it's a new type of running shoe maybe it's something like you just went into the science of it and like you know and you just like you know read more and just like you know it it became an obsession for maybe like a weekend or like couple of weekends or something like that nothing related to work mm um can't say is something which comes to my mind the last product that i really fell in love with was uh, remarkable this is a tablet that you can write on mm-hmm. so do you take a lot of handwritten notes i take a lot of handwritten notes, notes. Uh, every meeting i'm on a on i'm taking notes every every on meeting on what it could be anything like like uh, on on a paper pad so before no paper pad i never got to that that was impossible to sustain so i started taking notes on an ipad first but then ipads became extremely distractive because you will get this notification you get this mail and you just get distracted in meetings so found this tablet on which you can write but you have you can't do anything else there's no damn there's nothing else you can do you can only write and read back those notes in it beautiful it's a brilliantly built product so i fell in love with it i've been evangelizing that internally to every person that i see i think i've sold at least 3 four remarkable so what's it called again remarkable and does it do OCR and like you know text so those are pointless essentially to so me so how do you then my this is my favorite question right like how do you you take i'm assuming you take dozens of pages of notes yeah, like absolutely. in a month right yeah. no a day what's your in what, a day I what's your dozen notes what what's your feedback loop to go back to them and like you know or is it just so, are you taking notes just to kind of that's one part uh, writing down sort of hammers in the point better but for example if i'm a review uh and reviews are biweekly uh, day third so at the end of every sprint essentially um so i've taken notes today and the notes mention that you know this is the metric we have hit this is the cost structure we're doing and this is what you hope to hit by the next sprint when i go back to that note to to add notes in the next sprint i see what i wrote there right and so it's a continuous note for a particular meeting ha, so it's or just context. different notebooks for right. every single thing right so it allows for a very quick recap of ah okay this is what we thought of last time where we are um in uh, interviews it just sort of allows me to capture my feedback on the candidate so much better instead of otherwise all you remember is yeah i think i like that guy um uh, and especially because we do competency based interviews so you try to sort of judge a specific competency de- in in detail about an individual if you take notes it it maintains a little bit of discipline there i'm a big fan of note taking big 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 fan my last question for you if you had the choice of being known you said you want to kind of create an impact in the world and be known for something and if you had the choice of being known with a certain nickname one word nickname what would that be for tarun mehta i'm still figuring it out that's the honest answer see the thing is we're building vehicles today we are still excited about energy tomorrow uh how do we get there i don't have an answer i i think it's sort of linked but i don't have the full path in front of me so i don't know what people will generally know know me for or know us for i think today they will know us for high quality electric vehicle uh, electric scooter in india but i certainly hope that by the time we die that's not all we are known for we're known for something else uh something more fundamental than than a product but we got to discover that answer i'm sure we will i'm sure people will Thank you so much thanks for Tarun thanks Hi there this is Rohin again I'd love to know 
how you want us to improve upon first principles in 2023. Are there guests you'd like to see on the show? Questions you have in mind? Extra features we could build? Drop me a note at podcasts at theken.com. Subscriber feedback is what powers us at the Kenya.